Micaiah Bryant, Michael T. Fain, Andrew Teague, Andre Maurice Hill, Casey Goodson Jr., Joseph C. Jewel III, Abdirahman Salad, Joshua J. Brown, Taz John Osborne, Julius Irvin Tate Jr., Billy G. Heater, Ustez Davila, Donna Castleberry, Monte Shackelford, Corey Cordova, Daryl J. Bruffy, Abadi Gebreg Zebra, Caitlin Marie Demio, Stephen Tyler Reed, Joseph E. Haynes, Emmanuel Dagabo, Kareem Jones, Jason Thomas, Jimmy Patton, Michael Lee Morris, Abdul Razak Artan, Jaquarius M. Robbins, Tyree King, Kame D. Patrick, Henry Green, Muhammad Barry, Maurice V. Collins, Barry Kirk, Deontay Lamar Bell, Caleb R. Alexander, Jason L. Smith, Jermonte Fletcher, Ashim Rashid, Kusan Witten, Alicia Glass, Tyshawn Hancock, Joseph Givens, Patrick L. Jones, Kenneth R. Herring, Jonathan D. Rogers, Danny Thornton, John W. Montgomery, John Kaufman Jr., Michael A. Lloyd, James E. Hattersley, George M. Hall, Derek Alexander Sr., Kevin S. Boozer, Michael Jeffrey Kelly, Dustin R. Lemaster, Abby Lee Shepard, Francis Owens, Javon Williams, Jantua E. Bosley, Stephen B. Darafield, Randall Lee Roberts I, Niall R. O'Day, Lloyd Long, Ryan Clayton, Jason Farnsworth, James A. Hill Jr., James L. Harris, Brandon S. Rayot, Christopher Markham, Michael Harrington, Edward Hayes, Kenneth Goebel, Larry A. Martin, Mark Hunter, Patrick D. Higgins, Trawan F. Johnson, Michael Hevesi, Bryant Parks, Wayne E. Goldblatt, Larry D. Parks, Trey Akeem Darson, William H. King Jr., Alexander Hopkins, Timothy R. Monkman, James K. Polk, Tracy Price, 
Nasir Abdi, Wallace M. Chafin, Nathan Gale, Thomas Peck, Nahum Ramos, Perry Strotter, Dante W. Miller, Nathaniel Searcy, William J. Bing, Christopher D. Lee, Derwin A. Johnson, Vernon Watts, Carlos S. Davis, Jonathan L. Sharp, Leonard A. Moore, Jan Marie Wright, Trevor C. Kazmiri, Michael Burgess, Randy Henneberger, Tracy Travis, Jason Harper, Melvin Ray Berry, and Sean David Streeter. This is a memorial to the lives lost due to police violence since 2000 here in Columbus, Ohio. Hey y'all, this is Taria. And Akis. And this is Columbus Can't Wait. Either do politics. Or politics do you. Before we get going too much, we have to tell the people who we are talking to. We have, we're really, really excited. Extremely. To have State Rep Erica Crawley on our show tonight. Um, Thank you for joining us. No, thank you for having me. We appreciate it so much. I read your story, one of your long form stories in the Columbus Dispatch. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she just your story reminds me so much of things that I have experienced. And just to see, like, what you have been able to do, like, kudos to you. So don't tell anybody. Don't let anybody tell you you should be sitting down because from your story, like. You've been through it all. So I think you're very well poised to speak for a lot of people and a lot of people's experiences. Can I um, be honest with you? Absolutely. Just, so you in particular, like, have a really, um, you, like, represent a watershed moment for me um, mm-hmm. in, in just, like, my own civic engagement because, you know, I, I, I've i always been, um, like, every election I could have vo- um, voted in, I've always voted in it. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't remember where I had the realization I think it was 2016, after 2016. But I realized that I didn't really know much of anything about anybody else that was on the ballot except for, like, the people up at the top or mm-hmm. whatever. And then, like, the um, issues that were, like, in the headlines and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I started learning more and getting more engaged and reading up on stuff. And then I, I called myself an informed voter. And somebody asked me, it was like, well, who's your state representative? I said, <laughs> I didn't know, you know. Mm-hmm. And then um, so I, I went, I looked at, and you're actually my state representative, which, you know, that's kind of cool that you're here um, hey. like talking to us and whatnot. But um, like from there, it kind of sent me down a rabbit hole, just learning about all the different parts of government, mm-hmm. um, especially local government, because it's more than just a mayor. It's more than just city council. Uh, we have like the commissioners, we have the state house, we have like all these different like things that work together. And um, some of those things are things that we've explored on this season of the podcast, even like when mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, murder me, you know, he is hired and well, his employment is under the control of the commissioners. And everybody's like, yo, the mayor needs to fire him. The mayor needs to, it's like the mayor doesn't even have jurisdiction in that regard. Mm-hmm. And so for me, 
you started that journey of just learning more about what's happening here in Central oh. Ohio and the state at large. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm glad that I was able or maybe I did something to trigger that for you. But at the end of the day, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. I want people to be more engaged in, um, you know, the civil discourse. I want people to understand who it is that they, you know, who represent you um, because you have a vote. And you have a voice and, you know, we are supposed to work for you. And when we don't, your vote can remove someone, too. And I, I don't think people really understand their power. Mm. Um, I also think that there is. Um, so when it comes to a party, um, I am part of the Democratic Party and there are central committee races. Right. So as I go for this appointment, it will be the central committee who makes this appointment. Um, Those are elected seats, too. Right. Mm. You got to get signatures. You got to get on the ballot. Voters have to vote for you. And so you represent like that ward. Um, Mm. And there is a lot of people who don't know that they don't know what their local representation is. So when you think about local representation, you think about like city council. Mm. Yes. But it's like you have somebody that represents your neighborhood that you should be taking um, your concerns to. What's that position look like on the ballot? Like, what's the name of it? It'll say, like, Ward, um, mm-hmm. and it'll say Ward 89 or Ward so-and-so, and then it'll have, um, you know, if I was running for it, my name um, or your name. So it really just says Ward 89, and it will only be your ward. You won't see any uh, anyone else. I got you. That's the seat that Miss Hood has, correct? Yes, yeah. Miss Hood. Yeah, we I had Miss Hood on um, earlier this season and she was amazing of course yeah Um, so yeah can you tell us a little bit about your story so people know you as a state rep but tell us a little bit i kind of i didn't put it all out there because it's not my story to tell but (laughs) can you talk to the listeners a little bit about where you came from and how you came to where you are today um absolutely so i appreciate you reading that um it was long it came out in the dispatch Mm. um when i i didn't even know so jim siegel um god rest his soul he did pass away um reached out to me on the day i got sworn in and was like hey i heard you have a story can i do a profile on you and i was like absolutely so we met in my office and we talked for about two hours Mm. um and and to know me is like i'm very transparent i am authentic and and I have integrity. And so we were just talking like a regular conversation and took some notes. And then he was like, Hey, I'll give you a heads up when it's getting ready to come out. Um, and it just so happened on that Saturday. Um, I think it was Columbus alive or one of the Columbus magazines did a whole, um, addition on my colleagues who just got elected. They got elected with me, state reps, their focus was like they represent the suburbs and they flipped from a seat from red to blue. And I was like, you know, people reached out and they were like, well, Rep Crawley, um, you know, represents a part of Reynoldsburg, a part of Groveport. And I was like, don't even worry about it. Like, it's all good. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If right. people didn't recognize that, it's fine. I'm always overlooked and undervalued. That is my superpower. Mm. And it just so happened on Sunday morning the very next day that came out mm-hmm. front page. Right. Um, and it was like a, a moment of where I had to be vulnerable. Cause even though he mm-hmm. and I were just talking, like people make assumptions about you. Um, and for people to understand that I grew up in Youngstown, born and raised, um, 
I grew up in a family that was a working class family. Most of my uh, family worked at Lordstown um, mm-hmm. or this place called Delphi Packard. My great my grandfather worked on in the steel mills and on the railroad. Um, but I also had parents that struggled with substance use. Mm-hmm. Um, they were addicted to drugs. My father was addicted to drugs and um, to alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so um, I always felt like I didn't have a voice with them. You know, yeah. Um, my mother and I, we transitioned a lot. Like we had our own place. Then we lived with my cousin and my aunt. Um, then we lived with my grandmother. We lived with a friend. Um, and so people think, you know, being unhoused means like sleeping on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't right. necessarily mean that. And so mm-hmm. I would say, you know, we were homeless. Um, and uh, so that was in there. Her addiction was in there. My father's addiction. Um, it was in there that I um, went to college and then dropped out. So, um, you know, that was and I, I don't think people associated that because I do have my law degree. Mm-hmm. I do have my master's. So they're like, oh, you know, they like you come from this family. Mm-hmm. So they got to see the real. Um, yeah, we have the same master's degree. Okay. <laughs> I, um, and so. You know, it also talked about um, my struggle with uh, depression. Mm. I was first diagnosed at the age of 16. So I talked about my struggle with that and being diagnosed by an older white man who didn't really understand where I where I came from, my background and the mm-hmm. things that I was going through. And so, you know, I talked about dropping out of um, college. I went to the military, served active duty down in Virginia Um, And then, you know, when I got out, I was pregnant with twins Mm. um, with a high school diploma. Right. Mm -hmm. And had some issues uh, with my pregnancy, um, which is I'm sure we'll get to later why champion maternal infant health. Um, So I found myself just like my mom who dropped out of OU. You know, um, my aunt uh, went to Wilberforce and left and. So it was like this generational curse of like dropping out and being a single parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, this this can't be my story. Like this has to end with me. Um, I talked about how I was unemployed, um, you know, just with a high school diploma, how I was on government assistance. I got, quote unquote, welfare. Um, I was on cash assistance and had, um, you know, Medicaid Um, And it helped me like stay at home with my kids for a little bit while Mm -hmm. I looked for a job, finally got a job and um, put myself back, like went back to school, went to Cleveland State, um, got my got my bachelor's degree in criminology with a focus on juvenile delinquency because I wanted to understand why. So kids like me, a lot of my friends got killed. Mm -hmm. You know, they were in um, drug activity. They sold mostly. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well. What was it about me that I didn't go down this path? Um, and so I talked about my great aunt who, you know, I miss dearly, mm. who um, told me all the time that I mattered mm. and that I could be anything that I want. Um, she also picked me up every day and went to church. And so it's those social bonds that can save someone's life. Um, and then I ended up giving my kidney to her, honestly, like my left kidney, I would do it again, all over again. It gave me six more years with her and she passed away, but it wasn't even because of that. It was something else. Um, so yeah, I, I talked about, you know, um, working on behalf of children and families and then, you know, what it was like running for office, um, where people were like, where did you even come from? You know, like you're not part of the party, 
Wait your turn. Yeah. You're not part of the establishment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there were people who were already lined up for Mm -hmm. this race. Um, in 2017, 2018. And I was like, but again, I will put my record up against anyone um, because I'm here for the people. And as a single parent um, who sometimes didn't have enough money, like to get me to the end of the month, like who represents me? Who represents like a single mom, you know, trying to provide for her kids And I didn't really hear people like speaking up about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And to that point, I am the only legislator in um, the House who is a single parent out of 132 legislators. Um, And so I think I bring a different voice. Um, And so we talked about all of that. And and, um, yeah, it was uh, triggering. It was, you know, I wouldn't even read it for... A, a while, but I had all these messages. And so finally, when I went back to read the messages, people were like, oh my gosh, I'm so inspired by you. If you can run, I can too. I, I suffer from a mental illness um, and you've been able to accomplish stuff. And so that made me feel like, even though I was cringy <laughs> reading yeah. that, um, but if I was able to help one person, then it was all worth it. Yeah, I mean, that took so much courage, especially like in the age of the Internet where people can just like get on your Twitter and say anything they want to you and just like ruin your day. Like, that's so Mm -hmm. brave of you to be so transparent about your life. And when I read it, I was like, wow, there's so much stuff in here that I identify with Mm -hmm. that. I was just grateful that you did that, because, again, it shows that like you you just are who you are. Right. Your Mm -hmm. authenticity is your superpower. And once you put it out there, can nobody mm-hmm. put it against you because you already put it out there yourself. Right. And the other thing is, is that there are so many people in our community who have trajectories that mirror yours. Maybe they're not the exact same, but they can identify with something that you've gone through. So it just can make people more, I think, confident that you're going to go and you're going to fight for them because you know what it's like. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what it's like, it's harder to even be seen right like you can't even see those people sometimes because you have never gone through what they've what they've gone through and what i'll say too uh, on top of everything that you're saying Taria, is that like you're a lawmaker Mm -hmm. you know like right whatever the story is like you're in the that the state housing you're actually making laws that say how this state is going to be um governed and you know, that means that you are helping to, like, craft the experience for all of Ohio. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that that's important to see just that tra- that trajectory and where it can land you at, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Makes people feel less powerless. Like, you yeah. do have some power in what happens, especially especially in a um, state like Ohio. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just not enough folks like you who are making the laws, the wrong people making the laws, who have no idea what regular folks go through. Right. So I'm just so happy that you just shared that again for our listeners because now they can feel like they know you. I know you mentioned some of the things that you champion, like maternal health. What are, can you expand on that and the other things that you feel like are your, you know, like your hallmark things that you fight for? Absolutely. Um, So I knew that when I came into the legislator legislature, I really wanted to focus on um, maternal mortality um, to impact infant mortality. So we Mm -hmm. have the 
one of the worst uh, infant mortality rates among black babies in the country. Usually like at one point in time, we were 49th. Now we're like 42nd and we just can't get from the bottom. And so I did have a traumatic pregnancy. I went into preterm labor at 18 weeks, um, spent about 16 weeks in the hospital. I think I was able to leave like maybe twice just for a couple of days because I had to see I had a specialist um, and I was contracting the whole time. Had to have a surclage put in for Mm. people who don't know that. Like I had to have a stitch um, put in my cervix to keep keep my babies in there. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So that's why I spent time in in, um, in the hospital was severely anemic. Um, the day that I got my surclage out, um, they were, it was a Wednesday, had just turned 34 weeks and they were like, you'll probably go into labor on your own around Saturday or Sunday. Um, so that was 10 o'clock in the morning. They t- removed the stitches and at two o'clock they said, we got to take these babies right now. Wow. And I was like, I just ordered chicken. <laughs> I'm hungry. Right. I'm hungry. And they were like, no, we got to go right now. Wow. And so um, my babies, they're not babies anymore. They're 16. Their names are Hope and Faith. Um, and that was intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe not even two weeks later, well, we were in um, the hospital for five days. So when I left, maybe about two weeks later, I was um, experiencing severe abdominal pain um, in my pelvis. I could barely stand up. Me and my mom went to the hospital and I was there for hours. I was freaking out. Um, because I was breastfeeding at the time and pumping as well because my children were on um, a special formula. I didn't have them with me. We kept asking like, hey, like we're just sitting here, like what's going on? I'm in excruciating pain. Offer them to tell me maybe about eight hours later, oh, you'll be fine. You got a pocket of blood in your pelvis. It'll dissipate over time. Take some over-the-counter pain medicine. (sighs) And that's how women die Mm, or birthing people, right? Mm, That's how birthing people die. Um, because that's hemorrhaging, right? Mm-hmm. And I was lucky it did go away over time. I was in a lot of pain. And so, but 16 years later, or at the time I was running, my girls were 13. I'm, I still hear these same stories, mm-hmm. right? And you hear Serena talk about it, um, where she was having like, she has a diagnosis before she had her daughter with blood clots. After she had her daughter, she's like, I'm having trouble breathing. And they're like, well, you just had a baby. Like, what do you expect? Only to find out that she had blood clots in her lungs. Yeah. And it's 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 particularly for black women, just kind of the from the door to the end. Mm -hmm. There are all these little things that happen that you're like, you're not listening to me Mm -hmm. like or just different experiences that make it clear that we aren't valued as much. And I've heard like the story that you told me is a similar, a very similar story to one of my best friends who had to have a surclage put in and Mm -hmm. had that was her second traumatic pregnancy Mm -hmm. that she had had and just, you know, just her feeling like she wasn't listened to. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so happy that you are, you know, again, telling that story and also like fighting for that um, in the state house. And if I could just add, um, you know, It is a problem that um, here in the state, out of all of the pregnancy related deaths between 2012 and 2016, 57% were deemed to be preventable. And I get emotional every time I say that because that could be, could have been me, that could be my sister, that could be my children, you Mm -hmm. know, um, my best friends. And to know that there was something that we could do to save someone's life. Right. Um, and black women made up 17% of those giving birth, but made up 34% of the deaths. Mm. Wow. 
Um, so that's why I would continue to champion this um, because I don't want there to be another death that was preventable. And if we don't have healthy birthing people, then we can't have healthy babies. And if we have children or infants that are born early or um, preterm or low birth weight, we know that contributes um, mm-hmm. to infant death. Absolutely. Um, so what are the other things that you find yourself really passionate about and that you work on in your position? Um, a lot. So I'm mm-hmm. all about advocating for children and families, but mm-hmm. right now is racism is a public health crisis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, because that like encompasses like everything, everything. Right. <laughs> and I know we're going to get into police reform or law enforcement violence, but mm-hmm. um, that contributes to racism being a public health crisis. It, it, um, impacts our community. It causes trauma on top of trauma. It uh, creates toxic stress, which right. lends itself to, you know, um, maternal mortality and infant mortality. Um, we see the inequities in education and healthcare. Mm-hmm. So I know that I go into a healthcare system that doesn't treat everyone fairly and equitably. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's racism. So I call a thing a thing. Like, we're, I'm not going to say discrimination. There are times when I say that, but when I'm talking about the inequities in education, housing, um, you know, how we're treated when we engage with law enforcement, that is racism. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody is not racist, mm-hmm. um, but it is racism and those sincerely held beliefs that other people have based on our skin color. And so in order to address those things, we have to call it what it is. Right. Call a thing a thing. So I have a question because I, w- I remember where um, we said that racism was a public health crisis and that was like it made national headlines. It's like, oh, Columbus mm-hmm. is saying this. But the question I always had was like, all right, now that we're saying it, then what? Like, mm-hmm. What comes next? Like, what does that really enable us to be able to do? Absolutely. So, you know, when it comes to um, healthcare, we can make sure that our doctors and nurses go through anti-racism training um, mm-hmm. because we don't have a different pain tolerance. Black people don't um, than everyone else. When it comes to education, we will make investments. Um, we will target our funding um, to those who have the most need. So I am a champion for um, universal pre-K and all day kindergarten, mm-hmm. right? I worked in Georgia, like that was a thing and for three and four year olds. And then I come here and that's not the case. But we know that by the time black and brown children get to kindergarten, um, you know, their counterparts have like 2000 more sight words than they do. But had we invested in childcare and quality childcare for three and four year olds, they are usually um, on par and, and I could just talk about the spectrum. They create those social and emotional bonds. They are less likely less likely to engage in criminal activity mm. and things of that nature. When we get to the third grade, we have the third grade reading guarantee where if you don't make, you know, the cutoff, then you'll have to, you know, um, stay behind. And so we see that in education. Ohio is supposed to we do not have a constitutional uh, funding formula has been unconstitutional for 24 years. The Ohio Supreme Court has deemed it unconstitutional like three times and refused to take it up again. And so we know that I represent um, Columbus and the east side of Columbus. Some of the schools that I represent don't have air conditioning and 
all of that. So when we think about the money that we're investing in schools, I feel like we need to go to we need to invest in those that are economically disadvantaged with which is 51 percent of our students here. And we have um, 1.7 million students. Mm. Um, We would be targeting our money to those who have an IEP or that have a disability or those who are gifted and talented. And we know that black children specifically are less likely to be identified as gifted, right? right. Um, or we see housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we talk about racism as a public health crisis, we saw what the impact was with redlining. And those are the negative outcomes that we continue to see today. But we know that black women are evicted more than anyone else at disproportionate rate. So why aren't we targeting our resources um, in housing? Um, and I can go on about legislation around that, but that's how we nit- mitigate those um, those outcomes is, you know, providing, you know, a, a rent tax credit, um, understanding that people are severely rent burdened, which means more than 50% goes to keeping a roof over their head. Um, we will make sure that we're not disconnecting people's water or utilities, because when we disconnect their waters, then they live in a housing that's uninhabitable mm-hmm. and then they get evicted, you mm-hmm. know? So, mm-hmm. so calling it a health crisis, does that like, it, it just allows you to put more attention on it or like, does it like unlock like certain funding or like, I mean, well, at the state level, we could put together a committee, a study committee to say, like, what do we need to do? How do we gotcha. move forward okay. right. and mitigate these negative health outcomes? And so when we say racism is a public health crisis, we're talking about those social determinants of health. So that's transportation, that's housing, that's education, um, that's uh, access to high quality, healthy food. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when we don't have all of those, then we see a shorter life expectancy. Um, we see that if we only have access to um, fast food, then we have diabetes, we have um, high blood pressure and hypertension, and then we can't go get health care because we can't afford it, you know? So right. it's like, it's all interconnected. And so I always say we have to walk in and chew gum as legislators and identify and address all these things at the same time. And I believe we could if that was our priority. Yeah, mm. it's absolutely all intersectional. Um, is that one of the reasons why you're deciding to um, now go for this uh, Franklin County Board of Commissioners? Yeah. So I have been able to work in a bipartisan way. Um, so I wa- work across the aisle with people who are Republicans mm. who are willing to meet me in the middle on the things that matter to me. I've been able to pass um, bills into law, um, whether it's for you know, plastic pollution and making sure that we have water bottle filling stations in every brand new school. Um, PAMR, the Pregnancy Associated Mortality Review Board, because that wasn't codified. Um, I'm a veteran, so all things veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, I My first bill that I passed three months into um, serving is, um, so Ohio was improperly taxing veterans who had a severance payment for disability. Um, the federal government affixed it in 2016, yet we were still taxing. So it created a refundable credit and they can apply for it. And so anyone who served from 1990 to present who had their um, severance disability payment tax, they can get their money back. Oh, right wow. In their so for the listeners, 
that's out there, folks. Mm hmm. That's that's crazy, though, that something like that would be overlooked when it was. Yeah, you said man. 2016, they figured out they shouldn't be. The federal people. government did. Wow. And, and Ohio just, was in trickle down 2019. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's crazy. And <laughs> no, I can't. I can't like, just imagine that. like what else is like happening. Exactly. You know, because, wow. Exactly. House Bill 294 is what's happening. That's the voting rights bill that they're trying to roll back. That's what's happening. Can you can you expand on that for for the listeners? Absolutely. So it had its first hearing the other day. I want to say Thursday um, in committee over in the government oversight committee. Um, And so we see all these bills across the country because um, black and brown people had the audacity to register to vote and show show up. up. Um, So we (laughs) saw it first. And how dare they like, you know, they want to vote. They want to engage. They they care about representation. So we first saw it in Georgia, um, then we saw it in Arizona um, and across the country. And so we knew it was coming to Ohio. So they want to codify into law that only one count, I mean, one drop box per county. Um, they want to take away early voting days, um, which we know for um, some of us. And like that makes a difference. We mm-hmm. have, yeah. um, you know, we go out the Sunday before and souls to the polls and right. You know, we do that. Um, they want um, a lot of identification uh, when it comes to registering to vote or requesting an absentee ballot. It's and we just know like, what identify, identification does to people who don't necessarily have the means to have an up-to-date ID or an ID at all. Why don't you like explain it just for the people that don't know? Well, like you have to, it's, it's discriminatory because you have to have a valid ID to vote, but like... Mm-hmm. The cost of an ID, which I don't even know what it's it is a at this time. Tax, it's like, yeah, it's a yeah. poll tax. And so it keeps people from being able to participate because they don't have the, you know, 60 or $70 to make sure that um, their ID is up to date. And there are other reasons why people don't necessarily have IDs. So yeah. it, 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 um, it creates a discriminatory, you know, way that people are then another barrier mm-hmm. for people to, to be able to vote. It disenfranchises voters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, before it used to be, well, if you don't have an ID, you can just show like a utility bill. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's the case right now. So um, I would suggest to the listeners um, look up House Bill 294 um, and we're getting ready to do some town halls. But. It will be us, the voters, just like what happened in Georgia. Like they rallied, they um, signed people up to vote. And that's what it'll take here. Right, right. Putting a lot of lot of muscle behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Erica, our podcast this season, we're focusing on police violence. That's mm-hmm. what we've talked about from episode. What episode is this? Episode 10. 10? Yeah. This is our last. Yeah. This is our last episode. Our finale. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So it's been with everything that has been happening nationwide but also in columbus it's been a really really heavy um season for Mm -hmm. us and i'm sure for the listeners and it's just been heavy for everybody i think Mm -hmm. and so that's one of the things that we want to talk to you about again you're you're trying to get a um a seat on the county commissioner um office what can you tell people first what a county commissioner does yeah and then also if you are appointed to that position, how will your work um, be impactful on the problem of police violence that we're seeing in our city right now? 
Absolutely. So I appreciate the question. So I think you asked me before and I I really didn't answer it in in totality. So um, the work that I do in the legislature will continue at the board of commissioners. So right now I I am the highest ranking Democrat on the finance committee dealing with a $74 billion budget, um, which we're still negotiating now. Should I get the appointment at the Board of Commissioners? They are the appropriating body for every um, county agency. Mm-hmm. They deal with about a $1.78 billion budget. So I'm like, if I could deal with $74 billion, <laughs> I could do $1.78. <laughs> um, and since they are the appropriating body for state agencies, but they can also create programs and mm-hmm. invest in programs. Right. You know, when we think about law enforcement, Um, I think that, you know, we have to be good stewards of the people's dollars, tax dollars. And so when it comes to law enforcement, how are we investing and what are they using those tax dollars for? Mm. Um, Are they being um, intentional about how they spend it? And I know that it's controversial when we talk about um, de-escalating tactics and training, um, but also divesting um, Mm -hmm. and then focusing those dollars somewhere else. So one of the things that I would like to do, and I've been championing this at the state is, you know, if we look at some of these other states in um, larger cities, they have been partnering with organizations who have a history of working with people who have a mental health crisis um, mm-hmm. or, you know, partnering with those who are um, can go out with an officer. And, um, you know, if it's a 311 call or a non-emergency, like I'll get into Andre Hill in a second, mm-hmm. um, you know, they are better equipped to address and assess the situation outside of a law enforcement officer. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to create those programs. I know the city of Columbus has something similar, but I think that's where our focus should be is um, partnering with organizations who are better equipped to address um, some of the things that we are seeing. Well, even what we saw with Micaiah Bryan, Mm -hmm. it just, it feels like had those things been in place that she would be alive today. And even when you were just talking about how you went from house to house to house when you were growing up and I was reading the profile that they did on her and her family in the New York Times and she went from house mm-hmm. to house to house she was in the foster care system and I just thought to myself you know if we did divest from giving so much money to the same department that for lack I mean for lack of a better word murdered her um how could they have funneled that money to make sure that there was more bandwidth in the foster care system to make sure that, you know, these people aren't burned out because we're not saying that they don't do a hard job. It's hard to do what people who are working in the foster care system, social workers, administrators have to do on a shoestring budget. And then you see what police officers get and you see what happened to her. And it's just, it just says to me right off top, there's a better way. Yeah. So you're talking to somebody who work with children um, in the foster care system who have been abused and neglected. So I used to volunteer with CASA court appointed special advocates for children. And then I went on full time. And when we think about investment, so if you know her story and she was my constituent, um, Mm. she lived in my district and I'm going to try not to get emotional about it, but Um, we think about how she was in kinship care first, 
right? right? And so mm-hmm. I can go on about kinship care and how mm-hmm. they don't make our parents or uncles or, you know, relatives don't get the same amount of money that somebody who is a foster parent would get. So right. that that's an inequity right there. Um, and so they were her and her siblings um, or her and her sister in particular was removed from her grandmother's home because there were some allegations, I guess, mm-hmm. or she felt like she couldn't take care of them or didn't have the resources. Um, and then they went to a foster home. But at one point in time, the grandmother re- asked for them to come back. Mm-hmm. And so her uh, Makaya's record isn't clear on, you know, why they weren't able to go back. So if we think about if she was able to go back with her parent, I mean, her grandparent, would she have been in the same situation? Right. Um, I do think that um, our children in the foster care system should have ombudsmen. And that's one of the things that yeah. we're talking about at the an um, ombudsman. So somebody, so some of them already have a CASA because the CASA speaks for the best interest of the child. And depending on what the situation is, also there is a guardian at litem who usually is an attorney. But there needs to be, when we think about, and I'll talk about some CASAs, they don't show up for their for the children um, mm-hmm. that they are assigned to. They might show up when it's time to go to court. So they have to do a court report. But in between that time, there could be a lack of communication. And so an ombudsman would, you know, be able to be that facilitator that you can call that Micaiah may have been able to call and say, hey, this is what's going on in this foster home. I need support. I need to move. And the ombudsman uh, would work with the um, caseworker. We do know that caseworkers have a large mm-hmm. caseload and they are underfunded as well. And um, so that's a that is on us, right? So when I think about the state, because we do fund children's services mm-hmm. down to the county and the county also um, makes appropriations, like that's a failure on us yeah. mm-hmm. because we have not made significant investment in children's services. Um, and so we failed her and we failed others every yeah. single day. And that's really the reason why, like I appreciated you going into detail about the racism being a public health crisis, because when we say things about like defunding the police and, mm-hmm. and all that, it's like, all right, defunding them. What? It's like, well, then we can, you know, take the money and we can reallocate it over to all these other issues that, like we said, are a public health crisis. And I think you did a really good job of just like line iteming, like all the different things that we could be um, funding it and researching and, and fixing for lack of a better word. No, and I, I want to be clear when it comes to um, being a commissioner and what can happen with law enforcement. So the sheriff is a duly elected um, position. So Sheriff Baldwin, he mm-hmm. was elected, so can't really run, um, you know, his shot. But the investment right. definitely um, can be looked at. Um, from the county's perspective or the commissioners or just even a conversation. There are things that can be done um, that doesn't take legislation. Mm. You know, when it comes to de-escalation um, techniques, I do have a bill that talks about we need to increase um, the amount of hours that we spend. Um, but there are law enforcement departments all across the state who don't do training because they don't have the resources. And so we need to make sure that, hey, we're going to fund or we're going to have a dedicated funding to fund local departments. We're going to increase the hours. Maybe we mm-hmm. need to make this a, a profession where they get a degree. Like how mm-hmm. in the world are mm-hmm. we making how mm-hmm. do we got law enforcement on the street who don't have like they don't understand 
they're responsible for people's lives. So Absolutely. like doctors and nurses are responsible for people's lives. I mean, it, and it's, it, they're not doing surgery, but they can take out a gun and shoot somebody or take somebody to death or, you know, imagine if they even knew more about like how bodies work, like what mm. types of things would be prevented because mm-hmm. when they learn about the body, they learn how they learn how to, again, deescalate people or like, restrain people but i believe if they knew more about how the human body works maybe they would be a little bit more you know um i don't know what's the word that i'm looking for liberal Mm -hmm. with how they handle people Absolutely. So to your point about um, doctors and so I went to law school. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I know if I'm a practicing attorney, I have to carry just like um, doctors insurance, malpractice insurance. Like Mm -hmm. I cannot take advantage of people or violate their civil rights or civil liberties. And if I do, I'm subject to a lawsuit and then my insurance pays for that. And, and so we've talked about that at the state level. Maybe we're, we should require um, insurance for mm-hmm. our officers to carry that. Um, should they be liable? So taxpayer, we should not be using taxpayer dollars, you know, to, yeah. I don't want my taxpayer dollars to go to, um, you know, uh, when we think about George Floyd or Andre Hill, they just had a $10 million sell- mm-hmm. settlement. I don't want my tax dollars to go to that because that I didn't do that. That wasn't your mistake. That should be on the officer. But mm-hmm. I also get while why the um the city is on the hook for it. It was an employee yeah. of the city, so yeah, they should have to pay something. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not the whole thing. I know in um, Colorado, who I look at their legislate, they had sweeping police reform. They require police officers to pay at, at somewhere between two hundred and fifty thousand to five hundred thousand if there is a settlement or a judgment, and they should. And you, you would think twice about your actions if you knew that you might yeah. be on the, on the hook for five hundred. You would, you would think twice about pulling that gun on anybody for for any reason, mm-hmm. unless you absolutely felt that your life was in danger. And there's no way. I I wasn't there, but Mm -hmm. with Andre Hill, I saw the video. There's no way he thought his life was in danger. I mean, well, he didn't even have a chance to assess it, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean, because he pulled out his weapon and Mm -hmm. as soon as he got on the scene, it was within seconds, right? Mm -hmm. So even if we talk about, um, you know, we should be tying uh, pensions, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like it should not be on the taxpayer solely um, to pay for the, um, the murder Mm-hmm. Um, that, of citizens. Yeah, of citizens. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I will stand on that all day long. And if people feel a certain way about it, then they're entitled to how they feel. But I will say that we we should not be on the hook. Um, our governments, to an extent, should be. But is the officer, where is his responsibility or mm-hmm. her responsibility? Mm-hmm. They may or may not do time in jail. And we could talk about qualified immunity. Um, and, and we know even when there is video cameras or dash cam footage that there are people who still aren't held accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just need to do something different yeah. because it's not working for our communities and it's not working for law enforcement either. If we're just honest about it, there is not working for them either, but they're protected by the FOP, right? right. Who refuses to say, you know what? We have bad apples and we need to get rid of them. 
mm-hmm. instead of shuffling them to another department right. where they go to another um you know, they move and there's nothing that follows them when it comes to complaints. Or here, we don't have a use of force um, database. We did. Mm-hmm. But in the last biennium budget, last last General Assembly, the FOP lobbied to get that taken out. And it did. Wow. So now we don't have that. Mm-hmm. And it's important. To, I mean, it's important to know that it would t- it would tell a lot of stories if we were able to look into the database and see who has like the most. You could ask Mm -hmm. a lot of questions Mm -hmm. um, that we just don't have the data to ask because we don't know. And so that's insane. But knowing what I know about the FOP and how hard they fight for any type of like reform. And as far as it goes with the police department, it's unsurprising to hear that. But I did not know that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Most people don't. Yeah. Like most people didn't know that Standard Ground um, passed at like 12 o'clock in the in midnight. Right. They do that because who's like who's up at 12 o'clock midnight watching Ohio Channel and what we're doing in session. Right. Absolutely. Nobody's going to pay attention to the budget because it's like 3000 pages. Mm-hmm. You know, by design. I think it's important. I mean, not to do our, our own horns or anything, but I think it's important um, that our listeners are hearing like you say these mm-hmm. type of things as an active legislator, like you're in office right now. You're not aspiring to be, you're not uh, retired or or removed from office. Like you're actually in the state house and working on this legislation in real time. Because I think that sometimes we have a sense of hopelessness. It's Mm -hmm. like, nobody's fighting for us. Nobody cares. It's just the same old, they're just going to keep on doing it. Nothing's going to change. And I think that it's good to know, you know, what happens when we do go out and vote and when we put you know, good people in office and, and what it means to have an active uh, representative that actually cares about the constituents and cares about representing our needs and everything. Like mm-hmm. the fact that you even feel like a, a personal connection, you know, to somebody like Makaya, like I think that that's really important, um, not only to have like as representation, but it's also important for us to hear and to know that like people like you are out there, you know. So. Yeah, but I will be honest and say, like, my Republican colleagues, they be trying to wear you out. Like, they be trying to wear mm-hmm. us out. And, Tell us but, about it. But, that's, they do. but that is what they want to do. They want to wear us out. Like, it's it's like, we're dealing with this. Then the next thing, like, they're introducing something else. And it's like, it's all extreme. And so I would, um, I can't say that I don't get weary. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the Bible says, don't get uh, weary and well-doing, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's where I draw my strength. I'm like, Lord, you put me here for a reason. This was a calling um, on my life. So please give me the strength to keep fighting the good fight. But I would be remiss if I said that it's easy getting up every day, um, fighting these fights every single day. Um, But I also feel like that's why I need um, you and your listeners to understand um, that we need your support. Like Mm -hmm. we can only do so much Um, But when we have citizens who or I say my neighbors who understand their power and and power is with the people. Mm -hmm. But I also need the people to know their power. Right. So what does like support mean? Oh, my bad. (laughs) No, I want to know, too. Like like you say you need our support. Like, what does that mean? So like what can we do? Coalition building. Right. Mm. Like partnering with Ohio Organizing Collaborative or the ACLU or um 
you know, other organizations who are out here like on the front lines mm-hmm. um, trying to get people activated and engaged and then come to the state house. Right. So like we have moms demand action and whenever there is a bill like they they fill up the committee room, they be in the hallways, they got their signs like it'll be like hundreds. Mm. Um, but I don't see that with any other organization. Mm-hmm. That is the people's house. At the end of the day, and I know that people put legislators or politicians on a platform uh, and like, don't do that for me. I'm not a politician. I'm a public servant. Been that before I even got elected. Um, but I need Bars. I need <laughs> right. you to put like, that on the um, in the digital. <laughs> um, but I also say pressure bus pipes. Right. So if you put pressure on. Um, my colleagues, because I'm in the super minority, there's only 35 of us, but it's uh, 64 Republicans, right? right? So we need to be calling until they take the phones off the hook. Mm-hmm. We need to be sending emails until they're like, okay, we need to do something. And so if they just get tired of us and they want to like not move a bill, I don't care what happens. However, we can stop it, whether they get tired of us or they're like, this is the right thing to do, which usually ain't the case, but then that's what we need to do and come down and give testimony. And I know that can be intimidating, but I'm willing to send like a template on like how to address um, the committee and how to put the format together. I need your voice. Um, So all the listeners, I need your voice down at the state house. That is really, I mean, I don't think we've really had anybody break it down like that. Yeah. On this season or last season. Like committee rooms and everything like that. Like, well, I work in the reproductive rights space. So, you know, when you said that they <laughs> like to make folks tired, I mean, that's an understatement mm-hmm. in, in that world. Um, so I did know that. But I mean, I think that that's something that most people don't know. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know that they can come down and, and, and give testimony. And so that's a really powerful for people who we talk a lot about how people feel like their biggest power is like going out and protesting but some people do not want to do that Mm -hmm. some people do not have the nerves to do that that's just not something that they're interested in doing there are other things that you can do to enact change in your community and in your local community where it's the most important um the one thing that i think we both want to know is like how what can people do to help you get appointed (laughs) yeah that's a good question um, well, I appreciate the question. So um, it will be a central committee vote. So if you know anybody who's in the Democratic Party, that is on central committee. So those are the people who represent the wars who have been duly elected. Um, you know, let them know about my work. Um, mm-hmm. People can go to my website on OhioHouse.gov and um, see what I have voted on this general assembly. So it's hard to see what I've um, voted on last, but if you ask me, I'll tell you where I stand on things. You can go on my Facebook page and see some of my press releases. Um, They can go on my, my form official page and see my newsletters because I send out a newsletter all the time and, um, or they can call my office or they can call my cell phone and out and just ask the question. I'm always accessible. Um, But because I'm always accessible, because I'm always asking questions, I need people to relay that to whoever they know on central committee. Like, Hey, do you know, rep crawling, mm-hmm. you know what her work has been. Um, you should look her up or you should, here's the link to the dispatch article. So you'll know that she is for the people. Um, okay. So yeah. So people can likely find those people on Instagram. They can mm-hmm. find their email addresses. They can send them a letter. They can send them you know, they a for? pigeon, whatever <laughs> yeah. to lift up, um, Rep Carly's name. 
Yeah, like when they're searching for it, like what should they search for? Um, you probably could just Google what oh, yeah. Central Committee, uh, Columbus. You can go to um the Democratic Party's Franklin County Democratic Party um webpage. And okay. you can see I'll go straight to yeah, Google. or you can Google me. You can definitely can Google me. But if you want to reach out to Central Committee members, that's what you can do. And also, they should know that. What I'm working on at the state house absolutely translates to the work that I'm doing or would do um, on the board of commissioners. It doesn't change. I advocate for homeless um, youth. I advocate for those are who are unhoused, um, like Healthy Beginnings at Home. That was a pilot program right here where it helped 100 women, um, gave them housing, uh, transportation, food. And we see when they were in that pilot program that um the rates of infant mortality decreased. I can mm-hmm. still, I do right. that at the state house. Why can't I do that at on the board, especially when we're appropriating money? Mm-hmm. Those are the things. So nothing will change. My commitment to the people remains the same. And the work that I do, I can just build on. And so whoever's listening, if you know somebody on central committee, you can say, you know, that that's my commitment, no matter what, whether I get the appointment or not, I'm still working for the people. Well, and for all the people who are like super networkers like me, even if you don't know them, introduce yourself and mm-hmm. get to know them and then be like, oh, do you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I'll do it in a minute if I don't know somebody. I mean, I did like randomly just text you out of the <laughs> thanks yeah. for taking that text. Girl. Absolutely. Um, That's what I do. <laughs> so when is the appointment going to happen? Like, when is the date? June 24th. OK. OK. So from now to June 23rd or or. Well, even June 24th, because okay. it'll be at like six o'clock in the evening. OK. So every minute um, counts. Cool, cool, mm-hmm. cool. So, Erica, where can people find you on social media? I know you talked about your website, but do you have Twitter? Do you have Instagram? You have Facebook, of course. Yeah. Um, so I am on Instagram. Um, I've been off for a little while because don't read the comments of, you know, people or different posts because yeah. it will make you go crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm at uh, Erica, E-R-I-C-A underscore Crawley, C-R-A-W-L-E-Y. I am on Twitter, um, the at symbol Erica C and then Crawley, C-R-A-W-L-E-Y. So two C's in between there. And then I'm on Facebook, just Erica Crawley on Facebook. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, the last thing that I wanted to say to you is that I was on your Twitter and I saw that you're a Steelers fan. And uh, <laughs> oh, you're a Steelers so, fan. I, I know, am, Malcolm. You, I you had to bring it Browns, up. But, yeah, <laughs> I used she to has enjoy it in her bio. You. That's crazy! Wow. <laughs> and you, I mean, I'm you are from it. Youngstown, so yeah, I guess true. it's like no, that's close to what are you talking a, about? That's close to Pennsylvania. Right? Yeah. So I'm closer where I grew up and where my mom still lives. Like my family still lives there. Um is 45 minutes away from Pittsburgh. Thank you, know your geography. (laughs) And about 55 minutes away from um, like downtown. um, Well, no, it's like an hour and five minutes from downtown, but to my cousin's house in Cleveland. So it's longer getting to Cleveland than Pittsburgh. Well, still, you're in Ohio. (laughs) I am, and people say that, and I'm glad you asked at the end of this, because if you asked in the beginning, he would be like, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. Would you rather her be a Bengals fan? than a Steelers fan? Yeah, I would. <laughs> I hate the Steelers. Respectfully, I hate the Steelers. Oh, Everybody it. does because y'all just be some haters. It's not um, terrible. It's about to be a long me. winter for you guys. So, so, <laughs> I mean, you know. we got some, you know, some things that we got to work out. The next decade is going to be bad for oh, you guys. Oh, the decade? Yeah, the next I mean, decade. the decade. I think, 
I think that's pretty strong. I, I, I don't know I mean, about the decade. I'm just saying. Look what I started. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong folks, with you? That's the last that's the end of our interview. It's the end of the season. It's the end of the season. No, the honestly, the Erica, like, we're really, well, I was really grateful. <laughs> We're really grateful for you to come into the podcast, especially for this to be the last episode, because, you know, before we started recording episode one, like, I know I went to all my group chats. I was like, yeah, I need y'all's prayers and everything. Mm -hmm. Like, this is about to be heavy. And um, this is something me and Taria talk about all the time. Like, it was even worse than what we thought that it was going to be. Yeah. It's heavy work. And, and, you know, a lot of people have listened to this podcast this season. A lot of um, bills have been lifted. Of, off of their eyes mm-hmm. and I don't know me personally hearing you like talk about some of the stuff that you're talking about and again knowing that you're actively legislating right now mm-hmm. um I think it's that's the type of hope that we need because like sometimes it, it feels like we're hopeless you know like absolutely like, and what comes next all right we know yeah. that the world is effed up so what do we do about it and um what, what was the bible verse that you said Oh, don't be, uh, don't become weary and well doing. Yeah, or don't get weary and well doing. Exactly, it's like Brad, you, we, you just don't stop. You keep going, you know, and, and you, you pass have up a time when you get tired. Absolutely, Sorry, we need enough people there so that you have somebody to pass it to. I always say co-conspirators. I don't need mm. another ally. Mm. I need co-conspirators right. in this movement, and oh, it does. I say that all the She's time. She's been dropping bars all that. I mean, but that's true. I don't even like to. We've talked about this too. I don't even like to use. If you're not going to be a co-conspirator with me, and mm-hmm. you're not going to put the same actually more skin in the game than I have to as a marginalized person, mm-hmm. then no thank you. Like, I need to find yep, I'll pass. find my people. I'll yeah, so, pass. Yeah. And it's cool. Yep. You know? Well, it's not cool. It's not cool. That's on you. It's not, but... It's on you. You have to live with but that. But it's all right. <laughs> We're um, going to be on the right side of history. And I ask God to be our vindicators. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, um, like, you know, this stuff isn't right. Or we feel like, like you say, hopeless. We're waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I do believe I'm a spiritual person. So, um, you know, not to offend anyone who's listening, um, but I always feel like God is going to be our vindicator. No, this is our facts. show. You can say whatever you want to. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> We're with you. I, I tell Tariq all the time, it's like tomorrow there's going to be more of us, you know, and mm-hmm. what you said about his, well, you said God being our vindicator. Like, you know, I, I go to bed every night you know, really um, satisfied with myself, thinking that history has his eye on us and what Mm -hmm. we're doing right now. And I'm proud of like, you know, that we're standing on the right side. And if you're choosing Mm -hmm. not to, that's on you. Yeah. 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 All right, y'all. Well, that's Columbus Can't Wait. This is last episode. Yeah, last Uh, episode. Thank you for having me. This has been good. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Columbus Can't Wait, y'all. And before we go, we want to acknowledge that we are on the traditional territory of hundreds of different indigenous tribes and nations, including the Hopewell, Adena, Miamia, Shawanwaki, Shawnee, and Kaskaskia. Indigenous people are still here, and we want to acknowledge that we are on their land and recording this podcast. Have a good night, y'all.